This is the E-Commerce Brain Trust, a podcast about building momentum online for established consumer brands. Join our hosts and their expert guests for high-level conversations about e-commerce strategies, trends, and innovations. Access our Brain Trust and boost your brand's e-commerce potential. Hello, and welcome back to the E-Commerce Brain Trust podcast. I'm your host, Kiri Masters, Head of Retail Strategy at Acadia. And today I'm joined by good friend and longtime guest, Russ Derringer, who is the founder of Stratably, a company dedicated to elevating the digital IQ of leading consumer brands. Each week, Russ creates impactful, practical, and easy-to-digest research that speaks to all layers of an organization, helping them see further around the corner of what's coming in retail. Welcome back to the show, Russ. Hey, Kiri. Thanks for having me back, and this will be a fun one, trying to predict what's going to happen next year. Yeah, that's the business that we're both in, I guess. But this time, we're making public predictions and we're giving ourselves passes or fails next year. And actually, we did this exercise last year predicting what would happen in 2022. And so before we jump into our predictions for next year, I want to just recap what we came up with last year and see what our hit rate was. Sound good? Yeah, sounds great. All right. So I'll start with, I think I went first with my first prediction, which was that Shipageddon will end in a giant sale. And the idea here was we're seeing a lot of constraints in the supply chain. If you recall, all of those ships were getting stuck at the Los Angeles port, really hard to get inventory in, it cost a bomb to ship, cost a bomb to fly inventory by air. And I was just seeing a lot of panic buying basically happening with brands. And my prediction was we'd have an overstock situation and we'd see a lot of retailers running liquidation events to get rid of that inventory. So I'm going to give myself a giant pass for this one because that's definitely what happened with the panic buying. And we're definitely seeing a lot of markdowns and retailers overstocked right now. Yeah, I think uh, you get the gold star on that one. I think of all the predictions, that was the most accurate one and supported by the rampant inflation and sort of weakening consumer demand that corresponded to that overbuying. So that was a great prediction. What was yours? So uh, my first one was around a hypothesis that we were going to see more of a remaking of publicly traded CPG boards that were going to add more digitally experienced directors to them. When I did a study last year, there was, I think, one in 12 directors on an average board had digital experience. So pretty small number, very much in the minority in terms of digital experience on these boards. And so when you have limited experience, it's sort of hard to improve a company's digital vision. It's hard to evaluate a company's digital vision. So I think at the time, the thinking was that consumer brands were going to beef up their digital experience. I updated the analysis heading into this podcast, and we did see an improvement, a slight improvement in terms of this digital experience representation. So a year ago, 9% of directors had that digital experience, and now 12 months later, it stands at 10%. So a small 
improvement, but keep in mind, boards don't turn over entirely in the course of a year typically. So I think even with the small improvement, it's moving in the right direction. So we're getting there. I think it's going to take maybe three, four more years to see 10% turn into you know 20 or 30%, but a slight movement in the right direction. So I'd say pass on that one. Yeah, I think that that was a pretty well outlined prediction and you got that one right. My next one is Chinese sellers and manufacturers will be more sophisticated. This prediction suffers from a bit of a measurability problem. What does more sophisticated look like? My thought at the time was we would see more of the Chinese direct manufacturers increasing their branding, quality of their branding and things like that on Amazon. And again, this is a little hard to measure. I probably would give myself half a mark on this because I haven't been hearing a ton about it in 2023 as a pressure point for brands specifically. There is some of that, but it's not really a top level pressure. But actually, Ross, you sent me a article from Marketplace Pulse with some analysis just from yesterday to show that there was a little bit of a pullback of Chinese sellers during the pandemic, that they had sort of lost a little bit of ground there. But by measuring seller reviews, which is a good proxy for sales volume, Marketplace Pulse has actually seen that share of reviews and ostensibly sales go back to where it was trending to prior to the pandemic. So I'm definitely going to mark myself down there to either like half a point or zero because my prediction was so poorly. It wasn't very measurable. (laughs) That's okay. It was our first time doing the prediction. So for 23, we'll make it more measurable. My second prediction last year was that rapid delivery expands to general merchandise categories. So at the time, if you go back a year ago, this was in like the boom time of quick commerce companies like Gorillas, Joker, Bike, Gatier, et cetera. 12 months later, we've obviously seen financial markets just do a complete 180 in terms of the interest in funding those businesses. Some of those businesses have have closed down, exited the market. And if you narrow the focus just to those quick commerce players, they did not expand to general merchandise categories. I think they wish they would have to improve margins and profitability and just overall scale, but they never quite made it. So they're all continue to be focused on grocery. If you open the aperture a bit though, I do think you saw expansion of Omni enablers like Instacart, DoorDash, Uber Eats, two general merchandise categories. You know, they're typically delivering in a couple of hours. So it depends on how you define yeah, rapid delivery. You know, Instacart partnering with Lowe's, DoorDash and Shipped partnering with Sephora. I think DoorDash just announced that the other day. Uber with Office Depot, DoorDash with Dix and Tractor Supply. So they're all moving towards adding general merchandise categories, which I think is a positive for their businesses. So I'm kind of being generous with myself here, but I'll give myself half a point on that. I'll give you half a point because I ended up buying a complete outfit off of Instacart this year. When I got COVID, I was in LA, I was stuck in a hotel room, I didn't have any sweats. So I bought a complete outfit off of Instacart from Dick's. So that's a tangible win, I'd say. That was the only way I could get any new clothes. I guess the key question is how long did it take to arrive? Oh, it was two hours. Yeah. There you go. All right. Okay. That's that's worthy of half a point. Yep. So my final prediction from last year was that aggregators will put pressure on incumbent brands. So 
the Amazon aggregators buying up all of these small FBA businesses, hiring really aggressively, spending big on Amazon PPC in particular. There was some pretty interesting research from Profitero a year or a year and a half ago showing that the aggregators were just dumping money into PPC. So I figured that they would put a bit more pressure on incumbent brands. I'm going to give myself a fail here, which I'm not all too unhappy about. It doesn't seem like too many of those aggregated brands ever really took off. And the concept really from a lot of them and their vision was to become the next P&G or become the next Unilever and become this house of brands. And I couldn't name off the top of my head any of these aggregator brands, even you know a year or two into their journey where they've been trying to invest in them. So that's a fail that I'm not unhappy about. Yeah. And again, part of that is just what's happened with financial markets and they just completely moved away from you know, that model and wanting to fund that model. And so that really handicapped a lot of the aggregators that came into the space. I think some aggregators have had wins expanding portions of their products that they've acquired into stores. So it's not completely dead. It's kind of like quick commerce. It's not like completely dead and gone away, but it has not had the trajectory perhaps that we would have thought. You've always been way more bullish on aggregators than I have been. So I think there's an argument that more cynical people would have around the business model. (laughs) And then there is the economic environment argument that you might make. I don't know. I might be oversimplifying your argument, but it might be too hard to tell at this point where the undoing came from. Well, and I think too, like in quick commerce, it was a matter of just so much competition that drove up customer acquisition costs to the point of being just wildly unprofitable. And with aggregators, there was just so much capital that flooded in that drove up the acquisition costs of the seller brands. Whoever survives, I think, will be in a much healthier competitive market situation than what they found themselves in in 2021. Agree with that. So we'll see, you know, maybe 23 is a sort of a rejuvenation of some of those models. Yeah, could be. All right. And you had one more prediction from last year. Last prediction I had was this emerging trend of separating digital portions of businesses from their physical counterparts. So you saw this most notably with Saks, which split off its e-commerce business. You know, it's very controversial at the time. And a lot of people were saying that's a terrible idea. And how are they ever going to do quote unquote omni-channel well, et cetera. However, a lot of the rationale was around the multiple arbitrage in terms of what investors were rewarding for growth in e-commerce just made a lot of sense for certain companies to split up those businesses. We never really saw that happen though. Kohl's was probably the closest to doing it. They were under a lot of pressure from activist investors, but they resisted. They didn't do it. And really this kind of fell into the flames because again, investors sort of retreated away from valuing growth. So this is just a fail. Yeah, this didn't really play out. (laughs) All right. So what is your final score? So I got out of three, I got one and a half out of three. So 50%, which if you were in school, that would be a very bad grade. But if you're trying to predict the future, I don't know, mediocre. (laughs) Yeah, I think I'm even worse than you. I'm like one to 1.5 points out of three. And that's a stretch, the 1.5. So (laughs) you might have pulled ahead of me. 
on that. Hopefully the listeners uh, will continue listening for the portion of the podcast where we talk about next year. Yeah. <laughs> it, there's a saying like directionally correct or something like that, that you could argue some of these were directionally correct, but we flubbed the parameters a little bit. Yeah. We were, the precision of our predictions was not necessarily perfect. Okay. Well, we have made a big effort to make our 2023 predictions more precise. So let's start with your first one, Russ. Yeah. So my first prediction, and I've wrote a lot about this in 2022, it's around Amazon Marketing Cloud, which is a newish analytical tool from Amazon. And the tool for listeners that are less familiar with it, it essentially allows for a much more granular understanding of how Amazon advertising performs across the funnel. So like a simple example, instead of assessing how a low funnel sponsored product ad campaign performed in isolation from all the other ad activities you're doing on Amazon, you can now assess how all of those campaigns work together to drive purchases. So it's really a game changer on Amazon. And I believe it will essentially power all sophisticated ad strategies by the end of 23. And so I did an industry benchmark. I haven't published it yet. I'm working on publishing it within the next couple of weeks, but it looked at adoption of AMC and only a minority have adopted AMC today, around 40% in that benchmark. That number might actually even be overstated a little bit, might even be a little bit optimistic, but let's say it's 40% today. I think that's going to get to, when I repeat the benchmark next year, I think that's going to get to 75% plus in terms of adoption. I think it's going to be a very important tool. So that's the first prediction. Super interesting. And so a couple of questions on that. That's based on your audience, right? Your Stratably subscribers and clients. Yes. And it's restricted even beyond that to consumer brands. So I just benchmark consumer brands and I asked, are you using AMC either directly like via internal resources or indirectly through agency partners? Got it. That's good. I don't assume that you're, I mean, hopefully your audience grows next year, but the makeup is going to be those sort of mid to large CPG brands. I'm behind you on that one. We have been using AMC as an agency, using it with clients, especially the larger ones, running DSP advertising. And it's really been a game changer in terms of being able to prove incremental revenue from ad campaigns. And especially in this environment, going into 2023, every dollar is going to matter and brands will want to understand that every dollar that they're putting into advertising is actually moving the needle. So the type of reporting that we get back from AMC showing net new customers and the actual value of programmatic advertising and whether that's driving incremental sales is a huge unlock. I'm right behind you on that one. My first prediction is also an advertising prediction. So I'm going to predict that Walmart Connect adoption grows and puts some pressure on Amazon ads growth. So what's behind this and what am I prepared to put throw down in terms of metrics here? Why is this a trend? Well, just in 2022, we've seen a lot of incremental but very significant changes to Walmart Connect. One is changing from a first price ad form ad auction format to a second price ad auction format, which significantly improved ROAS on the Walmart PPC platform. So that was a change 
agencies and brands had been crying out for a very long time. I don't know what the holdup was, but Walmart finally made that switch and they have been rolling out enhancements to their pay-per-click ad product pretty consistently this year. There's also a new free tier of Luminate available, which is the data program. So they're just moving in the right direction. Maybe they're following the Amazon playbook, you could say that, but that's really what they need to do as a first step anyway. And then the other driver here is a lot of brands have been waiting for a legitimate alternative to Amazon. Amazon is not always the most reliable partner as a sales channel, particularly in Q4. Right now we're seeing a lot of issues with brands having their POs dropped, reduced, lower POs with higher frequency, just really hard to manage that relationship. And for third-party sellers as well, inventory restrictions. And so that is forcing a lot of brands onto Walmart. I mean, forcing might be the wrong word, but they need an alternative distribution channel. And so a lot of them are looking to Walmart as an alternative there. So I think that Walmart Connect, just to put some numbers around it, eMarketer has probably the best kind of numbers around retail media share for each player. So their forecast is Amazon's share of retail media ad spend is 77%, which is huge, such a dominant player. And Walmart is only 6.2%. When you look at the growth of each of those companies, Walmart is starting to grow a little bit faster than Amazon. So I think in 2023, Amazon is going to drop its share, maybe just a small amount, but they're going to drop their share of retail media ad spend and Walmart is going to gain. I love it. So I agree, I think, but I also disagree on a certain element. So I think that at 77%, it's so high, right? That it's very challenging for Amazon to hang on or even grow that share. I agree with your prediction that they're going to lose a little bit. Walmart should gain. They're doing a lot of a lot of the right things. But I think that retail media as a whole with Amazon and Walmart and Instacart, you know, a few of the big others really stand to gain significant digital advertising share next year from the other channels including social, traditional channels, etc. It's proven so much more resilient in the last two quarters alone as a lot of advertising dollars have gone away from Meta as an example. So I think as I listen to your prediction, it's sort of like there's this pie of retail media and Walmart's going to get a bigger slice. I don't disagree with that, but I'm excited about what happens to that overall retail media pie. Does the overall pie grow and Amazon's going to put up great advertising numbers next year? Yes. Well, that's the difference between like, does the whole pie grow. I agree with you. It definitely will. Then like whose slice of the pie is growing or shrinking. So I think both of those could be true. Yeah, exactly. I agree. Okay. Got it. So prediction number two, I went from like, I feel like safe predictions and I'm going to get increasingly like out there. I love it. (laughs) (laughs) Which is kind of what I did last year too. So prediction number two, Instacart and GoPuff go public or are acquired in 2023. Right now, there is so much pessimism in the online grocery space. 
But I think we're going to emerge out of that because I come back to the consumer. The consumer values fast delivery. You're seeing digital penetration hang in there across retailers. And based on reporting, these companies, both of them, continue to grow, overcoming really challenging comps. So I think we're going to see both of these companies emerge leaner and stronger. And I think they're going to make it to the public markets next year. If they don't make it to public markets, I think they're going to get acquired. And not out of a position of weakness, but a position of strength. You know, a larger sort of omni-channel retailer is going to come and say, wow, we would love to have that asset. So I think that's a possibility too. But either of those, uh, going public or getting acquired, I think it's a great outcome for those companies. I'm optimistic that both of those companies are going to be relevant in the future. And I think they're going to make a big capital markets event next year. Yeah, I think this is an interesting one. There's been a lot of pessimism around that business model. Do you see some more consolidation happening amongst the smaller players at the same time? I think in the quick commerce space, it's like very likely that there'll be more consolidation. I think it's just more challenge. They're not at the scale. I mean, Gatier is at the scale from a global basis, but these quick commerce players are quite a bit smaller. So I think it's going to be challenging for them to survive and thrive as a independent company. You know, I think there's a case that maybe there's some consolidation in the Omni enabler space, like DoorDash or Uber, you know, acquire Instacart or something of that nature. We'll see. But I do think to answer your question directly, I guess, I think in the quick commerce space, we'll see more consolidation. I think, you know, with Instacart and GoPuff, I would bet that they can remain independent. All right. Well, that is definitely going to be pretty measurable by the end of next year. <laughs> yep. No hiding from that one. So my second prediction is that Amazon will capture more advertising revenue from non-endemics. So non-endemics are brands that don't sell physical items on Amazon. And it's sort of really starting to come to the surface with Amazon's own marketing initiatives that they are putting non-endemic brands front and center when they're talking about Amazon Marketing Cloud, when they're talking about DSP, when they're talking about Thursday Night Football at the Amazon Unboxed Conference in New York, which is their advertising conference. The big case study that they rolled out to open the conference was with Carnival Cruises, who have a branded Thursday Night Football debrief show. So Amazon is really putting non-endemic brands front and center and trying to attract more ad dollars from them. They are building more ad units and capabilities for non-endemic brands. And why would they do that? Well, it kind of goes back to some of the trends we've been talking about, which is Amazon's just not going to be able to grow that 77% of retail media spend number much. They're looking outside of their historic user base of endemic brands like, you know, the PNGs and the Mars and both the large and small CPG brands or consumer product brands. So they're looking towards non-endemics like car companies, restaurants, insurance companies, home renovation, you know, anything that would traditionally be advertised on TV or elsewhere. Those are really ripe for the picking with Amazon. 
And these non-endemic brands have a huge appetite for what Amazon is selling as well. Ad costs have gone up in other channels after following IDFA. And Amazon has attractive inventory with Thursday Night Football, with Freebie. They're really ramping up lots of different owned media channels as well as third-party ad inventory. And they also just have so much information about who is in a household, what are their interests, what have they bought, what have they looked at but not bought. So they're going to know if you've been looking at baby products that you might be welcoming a new baby into your family and you might be interested in life insurance now. I was watching Free V for the first time the other day and I was targeted with an ad for Zaxby's, which is a fast food chain here in the Southeast. I was targeted just with pretty basic demographic targeting there, but that is a Amazon media buy specifically. So I saw car company ads, I saw I saw Geico, I saw Zaxby's. I think that a lot more non-endemics starting to become interested in that opportunity and Amazon will sort of start to move beyond us talking about their share of retail media. We're just going to be talking about Amazon's share of media as a whole, a whole lot more. Yeah. And I think a couple of reactions to that. One is it's really going to challenge a lot of finance departments inside of consumer brands, yeah. which have said, oh, no, this is anything on Amazon is just trade spend. And that's how we're going to account for it. Well, how many Carnival Cruises are being sold on Amazon.com? None. So we have to sort of examine how we account for some of this stuff and how we think about it. And that's not news to e-commerce teams inside of those companies, but it's just another data point, I think, to highlight to the finance departments. Second point on that is, so right now, capital markets are, I'll share this data point with you, I don't know if you have this, forecasting Amazon's ad business next year to grow 17% year over year. That's on top of like 21% or so this year. And it would be really interesting, Amazon will never do this, but if they broke out, like what contributes to that growth? How much of that 17% is going to come from non-endemic spend? And I think it's going to be a significant portion for next year. So I think your prediction is right. And we'll have to try to measure, you know, have to try to measure that when we do this podcast a year ago. You got me. I didn't really put any parameters around that. (laughs) (laughs) Well, maybe we'll get a data point or something though through the year where we'll be able to assess it. I see myself getting a pretty easy point on this one. (laughs) You know what? What could really crash this into the ground Elon Musk really figures Twitter out. All the advertisers come running back into the arms of Twitter and it becomes a huge ad platform once again. Now that's a out of consensus prediction there. <laughs> All right. What's your, you got your last one. Okay. My last one, much to the dismay of food and CPG brands, I'm going to say Amazon makes a big splash in grocery but through acquisition. Things right now, Amazon Grocery, Amazon Fresh, it's just not looking great right now. They have just been very slow to expand stores. I think they're at 40 this year. I think a good case scenario, absent acquisition, is they open another 40 next year. And that I think is in a good, good case. That would bring the total to 80. It's just not enough. They're not moving fast enough. And Grocery is so important to Amazon. I feel like they remain committed 
to winning in it. And I just think at 40 stores and maybe getting to 80, that just can't be acceptable to management. I've heard about technical issues around the just walk out technology. I've heard of unorthodox sort of supply chain management and how they fulfill stores. I've heard that, you know, there's just in common typical Amazon fashion, they've put a lot of people in charge of that business that have no grocery experience. I mean, not everyone, but there's a lot of managers that don't have grocery experience. So it's just really, really challenged right now. It's just not obvious that this thing is going to take off in any meaningful way. But again, despite all of that, I think Amazon remains committed to figuring it out and winning in grocery. And so I think we're going to see them make a big move possibly by acquisition. That seems like the sort of the most straightforward way to take 40 stores and turn it into like 300 stores or something of that nature. It'll be really interesting to see what happens with the Kroger acquisition of Albertsons, because if that goes through, then I could definitely get on board with your prediction. Yeah. And uh, it actually might create a unique opportunity for Amazon because Kroger and Albertsons are going to have to spin out a certain number of stores in order to make it through the regulatory process in the US. Could be 100 stores, could be 300 stores, could be more than that. We'll, we'll just sort of a wait and see at the moment. But that's going to be this new company, Spinco or Nuco. That could be a really interesting opportunity for Amazon. And I posted about this on LinkedIn last week or so. Just like, wow, what a head scratcher that would be for regulators on that one because they forced Kroger and Albertsons to spin it out. But then here comes giant Amazon coming along saying, oh, we'll buy those. But regulators obviously aren't too keen on letting Amazon acquire anything, but they have a very small share of the grocery market. It's like a lot of interesting uh, regulatory questions in the e-grocery space at the moment, but it could be a catalyst, could give Amazon an opportunity to pick up a big number of stores. Yeah. I think from a competition standpoint, if Kroger gets even has an even larger share than they do now, then there really needs to be another second player emerge just in the grocery category. So it's probably the best time of any for Amazon to be putting something together and getting it approved by the regulators. And then also, it's a great time to be buying potentially distressed assets too in 2023. You've got those factors in your favor there. Yeah. And Amazon is like the best in in some ways they're the best acquirer from a regulatory perspective because of the innovation that they can bring while they're very powerful while they're kind of like a scary force in retail and technology like broadly they're like the exact type of competitor that you would want keeping Walmart which has the biggest share of grocery and then a combined Kroger Albertsons which will be number 2 it'll keep both of those companies innovating and keep them honest so to speak from a consumer value and what they're delivering in that from that standpoint. So it'll be interesting to see how that acquisition plays out and whether Amazon somehow gets involved in it. I wonder if that if what you just said will end up in some press release from Amazon arguing why this is a good idea. I hope so. I don't <laughs> I don't know. Maybe Amazon could hire me as a consultant or something. I'd be happy to entertain that those conversations. <laughs> Might be a bit of a conflict of interest there. Okay, so I've got the final prediction for next year. And Ross, I can't let up. We're on two sides of this issue here potentially. But I think that one or more of, let's say, the top 10 Amazon aggregators will go out of business. So we saw a couple of big layoffs or closures from two big industry players in the second half of this year. Packable 
or Pharmapax closed its doors and Spreetail, which had a similar model as well, made big cuts and layoffs this year as well. So those are more sort of like reseller models of large brands or mid-sized brands, more resellers, less like aggregators or operators of those brands themselves, like an aggregator. But it sort of, to me, points to some challenges in the ecosystem and the margins that some of these brands are running on. As I mentioned in my 2022 prediction, I just haven't seen much evidence of what the aggregators sort of set out to do in becoming the next P&G or the next Unilever. I haven't seen much evidence of that really happening. And then at the same time, D2C brands who really had a philosophical aversion to selling on marketplaces and selling wholesale, they've started to come around on that a little bit, particularly after their advertising and CAC just shot up after IDFA. So we're seeing brands like Peloton come start selling stuff on Amazon. We're seeing more D2C brands actually embracing the marketplace model and that those brands are just really great at telling a story and bringing an audience and connecting with customers through content, which is an area that the aggregators don't seem to have really found their groove with actually creating brands that people really love and want to come back to and are not just viewed as commodities on the platform. So for that reason, I think, yeah, I'll just throw down a specific metric here. One or more of the top 10 Amazon aggregators will go under in 2023. All right. And that's a measurable one. You know, I think the fundamental challenges with some of those businesses, right, we haven't necessarily uncovered And those challenges stem from overpaying in 21 for these assets that they acquired. And so there could be lurking (laughs) out in the market today, some like, we can call them zombie aggregators, you know, at the moment that it's just a matter of time because they just overpaid so much. Am I doubling down here? I don't know, but I don't think there's anything fundamentally flawed with an aggregator model. Roll-up models exist in all sorts of different industries. They can work so long as you don't overpay for the assets and you know how to operate the businesses. And I think that those were two issues (laughs) that sort of aggregators, as we think about them in 21, they did not necessarily check the box on both of those things. But I think they've had some religion since then. Capital markets have force that. I don't know if I disagree with your prediction, but I do think some are going to emerge. And I think that model can still work. And maybe, you know, if you were to start up an aggregator today, which seems sort of stupid, except for the fact that like you've learned some lessons and prices of these sellers have come back down to like more normal levels, it could actually work. And by the way, I think like the demise of the aggregator space is like a bad thing for us in the digital commerce world because it was like, what a great exit opportunity for so many sort of like small to mid-sized businesses that are selling on the marketplace. So I'm just kind of disappointed for the industry as a whole that the aggregator market kind of did this like boom and bust, but hopefully maybe we can level out in, in 23 and have some really strong aggregators that survive, but not all of them, not all of them are going to make it, yeah. I don't think. Yeah, I'd take your argument as well. I look at, there was an interesting event this year with Hero Cosmetics 
selling to Church and Dwight, that was a company that was born on Amazon. And there's surprisingly few of those examples of brands that really built a real brand that's recognizable that end up selling or getting really big. So Anka, Hero, there's a really relative to the number of brands that are created or created on Amazon. There's so few examples of brands that are born there that make it big. Yeah, there are very few examples. And I've tried to study this. I don't have my notes in front of me, but there are just not that many great case studies. I think we're going to see more though, because a lot of what is you're familiar with, Curie, you've seen a lot of D2C companies look to expand into wholesale channels this year. So if you take a big consumer brand organization that's widely distributed everywhere, and they know that digital channels are some of their fastest growing channels, they have all the relationships that they need from a wholesale perspective. Why wouldn't they be looking like Church and Joy did for whatever the analogy to hero is in other categories and saying like, wow, look at this is a leader on Amazon or this is a leader in D2C. We can easily expand their brands into wholesale channels much more quickly than what they can do on their own, just because we have the relationships, we have the ability to do that. And so if I can add a fourth prediction, I'm going to sneak a fourth prediction. Maybe we see, you know, that wasn't what I asked you to do. Yeah, well, one, I'm going to do one or two, one more. Maybe we'll see one or two more hero brand type acquisitions next year that kind of follow that model. Okay. I'm on board. I'll give you a fourth. <laughs> I agree. And with the, again, it could be a great buying opportunity for some of those house of brands companies to actually acquire assets in 23 when the valuations have come down a little bit and getting more distribution channels is going to be even more important for these brands that have been like channel, very channel reliant. Exactly. And I think the difference, like what are some of these big CPG companies, but roll-ups? I mean, that's how they grow typically is by acquiring and divesting brands. And that is sort of the model. But the fundamental difference with aggregators was that they brought to bear incredible expertise on the wholesale side, whereas some of the aggregators didn't necessarily have that expertise. And so they were buying an asset run by someone that was, or a small company that was very strong on Amazon. And then that brand moved into an organization that was mediocre on Amazon. And so that is not a great, you know, roll up model. And thus back to your prediction, some of them aren't going to make it. Awesome. Well, I'm looking forward to seeing how we land on these next year. We'll come back would love to hear what people think about these predictions. Certainly follow Russ on LinkedIn, follow me. And when we share this episode out, we'd love to hear what you think. Thanks for coming back on the show, Russ. Hey, thanks for having me. I really enjoyed it. 